0: Live in fear of a complaint? Do you dread making a mistake or getting something wrong? No one goes to work expecting to fail, and no one ever likes to be wrong or receive a complaint. But making mistakes is normal. After all, no one has a 100% success rate, and receiving complaints from patients and clients could be seen to be an occupational hazard. We know this, so why do we find it so hard to cope when it happens? And it will. That's why we've put together a series of You Are Not A Frog podcasts on complaints and how to survive them. Going through a complaint or investigation is one of the most stressful things that can happen in your career and I've seen firsthand the anxiety and emotional turmoil it can cause and I know what it's like to berate myself when I inevitably fail. But it's because we care that we find this aspect of our professional practice so difficult But what if there's a better way of handling things? What if we could learn to view the whole complaints process as just another part of our professional practice and learn the skills we need to manage ourselves, our colleagues, and our patients in an empathetic and compassionate way throughout? In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Sarah Coop, Dr. Annaline Weston, and Dr. Sheila Bloomer about the mindset shift that's needed in order for us to prepare to fail well. We talk about the perfectionist tendencies that many of us have had throughout our training and how a complaint and a mistake can impact on our own sense of identity and self. We discuss how imposter syndrome can contribute to our defensiveness and how we can start talking to ourselves in ways we would never talk to a friend or a loved one. So listen to this episode to find out the difference between a fixed and a growth mindset, how reframing some of our negative self-talk can help us when we fail, and the one phrase that we should all have learned at medical or dental school that might have saved us from false expectations. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, Life hacks for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP ten coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. And I'm interested in how we can wake up and be excited about going to work no matter what. I've had 20 years of experience working in the NHS and I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed, worried about making a mistake and one crisis away from not coping. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water,
1: working harder
0: and longer and the heat has been turned up so slowly that we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to the low-grade feelings of stress and exhaustion. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options Stay in the pan and be boiled alive Or jump out of the pan and leave But you are not a frog And that's where this podcast comes in You have many more options than you think you do It is possible to be master of your destiny And to craft your work and life so that you can thrive Even in the most difficult of circumstances And if you're happier at work You will simply do a better job In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and thrive, not just survive, in our work and our lives and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? It's just 27 pounds and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com/get your life back. Now before we dive into this episode, I’d like to share a word from our partners from this series on complaints. It's all too easy to feel overwhelmed and for many healthcare professionals it's not only feelings of burnout and stress which can be challenging, there's also the nagging worry of making a mistake and a patient claim being made against you. It's enough to give you restless nights and impact your day to day but you don't have to go it alone. If you're a member of Medical Protection or Dental Protection, you can access a range of support from clinical professionals who understand what you face, who are here to help you with not just the legal stuff, but your emotional and mental well-being too. From expert medico and dental legal teams to independent counselling through to webinars and on-demand content, you can access it all as part of your membership so you can focus on loving your job, not fretting about it. Find out more at medicalprotection.org and dentalprotection.org. And now here's the episode. Welcome to our first episode in our podcast series, all about complaints and how to survive them. I'm really uh, thrilled to have with me on the podcast today, three very special guests. Uh, The first one is Dr. Sarah Coop. Now, Sarah is a senior medical educator at MPS. She's got a background in general practice and uh, she's also got a lot of experience in coaching and mentoring doctors in difficulty. So welcome Sarah, great to have you here. Thanks very much Rachel, great to be here. I'm also really grateful to have with us here Dr Annalene Weston. Annalene is a dental legal consultant for dental protection working in Brisbane. She's also a practicing dentist, she has a master's in health law and does a lot of teaching all about how to recognize and manage burnout in in health practitioners. So great to have you here Annalene.
2: Thanks ever so much, Rachel. Great to be here.
0: I'm also really pleased to have with me Dr Sheila Bloomer. Sheila is a medical legal consultant for NPS. She's a GP. Before she was a GP, she was a solicitor uh, working both in the commercial and private sectors. She's also been a lecturer in law and she represents doctors facing lots of issues such as GMC complaints, criminal proceedings, disciplinary proceedings. So lots and lots of experience in, in that area. So welcome, Sheila. Great to have you with us. Thank you
1: for inviting me. I'm looking forward to the session
0: So complaints. The reason I wanted to address complaints in a podcast series was I've had a a, a friend and colleague recently who's gone through a a really nasty complaint and I I I saw how it sort of nearly destroyed her. She was really preoccupied with it. It sort of ruined the whole of the the summer. And even though the complaint is finished, I can see the amount of stress and anxiety it caused. And and she's a really experienced GP. No, she's not a newbie. It's not her her first one. But it just got me thinking, you know, after all these years of experience, why are we still so frightened of complaints, still so bad at dealing with them? And When I've been talking to people about this, people have been saying to me that actually as a healthcare professional, particularly as a doctor or dentist, then complaints are just an occupational hazard, right? Everyone's everyone's nodding at me. So if they're an occupational hazard, why do we deal with them so badly and why aren't we taught better how to deal with them at medical school? Let me ask Annalyn, you first, because I know when we talked before, before the podcast, you've got a particular line that you say to trainees, which really struck me. I'm going to make mistakes and some of them are going to be serious.
2: And that's absolutely the case. It's something that I try and get the uh, recent graduate practitioners to repeat in uh, seminars when we're training them. And many of them find that really hard because they find the whole concept they're going to make a mistake in the first instance to be very confronting. And then the fact it could be serious and could have serious consequences for the patient, it's beyond the pale for many practitioners. I mean, we are health care providers, the clues in the name. So to suddenly do something where a mistake which causes harm can just be overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. And how do they react when you tell them that? They don't like it. They find it (laughs) confronting. They find it makes them feel very uncomfortable. And you can see some people will go away and reflect on that. Or you can see they're having a moment of self-reflection and you can see others will just clam up and say, nope, never going to be me. Never going to let that happen to me. And they'll be very rigid in their position, in their body language. Whereas others, you can see they go, "Okay, this is something I've never considered before. I really need to think about that and how that applies to me. A lot of people don't have the mental, emotional capacity to deal with having hurt someone else. I think that that that's what we need to consider is making mistakes in our line of work often flows on to somebody else being hurt. And I think that that emotionally, I just don't think we're well prepared for that. I don't think anyone would be.
3: Yeah, I think that's really true that the impact of, of a mistake has both external effects. So on the patient themselves, perhaps on the organisation, perhaps on our own career externally, But also the internal impact that is so hard to come to terms with for many people who perhaps, as you said, Annalene, don't want to face it. They may ever be in that position. And I'm I'm reflecting on it. I think that from school before we even get to medical or dental school, if we're aiming to be a um, a doctor or a dentist, we are used to success because that's how we've got to where we have got to. So we're not used to failure. And people around us tell us that, oh, you'll be a fantastic doctor, you'll be a fantastic dentist, perhaps. So there's this picture that perhaps we have of ourselves as always being successful and we're not used to failing. And I think, therefore, for many people, it's it's a, almost like a foreign concept for them to, to get their heads around that they could equate themselves with being anything less
2: than successful. And so I think that can be challenging. I think many people haven't even failed their driving test let alone an exam, and often the first time they experience failure is at the hands of a failure in patient care. Yeah, so therefore it
3: becomes part of their identity, and I think that's where it can be really challenging um, for people to get their heads yeah to get their heads around that. And I think there's a competitiveness often at medical school, dental school, so I think that competitiveness and that comparison can really perpetuate that feeling again of, of needing to be successful and being seen to be successful. So Sheila, you were nodding there.
1: Yes I mean I agree and I think just from my experiences when I was working as a GP and I had you know I, I received complaints as most GPs do in their career and it's it's certainly not unusual doesn't mean it's any less you know uh, upsetting. From my personal experience I think if, if a dentist or a doc or a doctor receives a complaint it's almost like a, a, a personal loss in some ways because you invest so much in patient care the last thing is the last thing you want is either to upset a patient or to to cause harm to a patient. That's not why we joined the dental and medical professions. And so, I mean, from my experience, I was shocked when the patient made a complaint because I'd invested so much time and effort um, in, in providing the best care that I could. But I think we have to remember that we are human and we can only do so much, even though generally... People that go into dental work and medical work may be perfectionists in some ways. And, and as Sarah said, from a highly competitive environment. So it, so it's, it's both a, a professional and personal shock when you get a complaint. And it's, I think it's difficult for practitioners to kind of get to grips with that
3: also that dread that people have heard of other people they've either had complaints themselves which maybe have have thankfully been fairly minor and haven't escalated to something significant but there's that dread of of being in that situation because people know it can take years for it to be resolved they know it can have that dramatic effect but it's also the guilt and the shame that can be associated with it that I think is really hard for people to 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 sort of Really accept that that mistake has happened. But often, for some people, the reaction would be to, to internally berate themselves and feel extremely ashamed of, of having made that mistake. And that can really make the situation worse. Annalene, how what's that like in the dental side of things?
2: I absolutely agree. Shame is a really powerful emotion that people feel and often report. And I think many times, practitioners, as you said, are already measuring themselves up against others. So they see themselves as being less than their peers, less able or less good, for want of a better word. And it really pummels their self-esteem when they're already trying to deal with the patient issues. And then, of course, I find that when I'm dealing with practitioners who are experiencing complaints and going through complaints, you have some who cannot look and they'll go, no, everything I did was right. And they'll be quite rigid and like, no, 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 the patient's wrong. And then for other, and that's how they cope. And then other people can cope by saying everything I did was wrong. Do you see what I mean? So they don't necessarily take the learning. They're so ashamed. They're so distressed that they will, it will become everything. They did everything wrong. When in fact, often that's not the case. Would you agree,
1: Sheila? I definitely would agree with that. Both my own experience of having a complaint against me as a GP but also then working closely with, with doctors over the last several years who've you know had complaints or claims against them. Um, it's almost like a bereavement because you, you have this confidence that you're giving the best care that you possibly can for patients. You're working very hard, often very long hours. You're putting yourself, your home life and social life to one side often to to ensure patient care. And Then if you get a complaint, you think, well, I've done everything I possibly can. Why has this happened to me? And I think the reaction that I experience, but also I I see day to day from from men, from doctors, is almost like a brief reaction. And as you said, at first, it's often a sense of denial that, you know, this just isn't justified. Um, Why has it happened to me? And also anger as well. Oh, I've done the best I possibly can. Why is this patient turned on me? I couldn't have done any more. And so, that in, so I think it's almost like a grief reaction. And I think if, if doctors and dentists could think on those lines when they receive a complaint, then perhaps they could be kinder to themselves and understand that this is a process that anybody who receives a complaint can go through. And it can take several months to go through the process, just as it does in the process of bereavement so I've experienced that with a number of doctors and in fact denial is probably more harmful because it can delay a doctor speaking to a trusted colleague for example about the complaint seeking advice and help from their medical defense organization for example and then it can just mount and mount and compound and get worse and worse so if a doctor or a dentist receives a complaint I'd just like to reassure them that it's not unusual, and the best thing is to speak to somebody they trust and possibly to contact their medical defense organization or maybe their their more senior colleague for, for just to talk it through in the first instance. It's like a burden shared is a burden halved is is a really good saying in these kind of situations.
2: do you think we're kind to ourselves anyway as practitioners? do you think what do you think, Sarah?
3: I wonder if it's true for many of us that there's almost that unspoken culture perhaps in medicine that you always come second patients come first and therefore I think it's true for many of us that we're not as kind to ourselves when we're practicing as we need to be or deserve to be and and we all talk about we've got to put your own oxygen mask on first in order to help others and you can't pour from an empty cup and we know those sayings but yet it's so hard to do that, perhaps because, as Gina said, you know, you've often put, made a lot of sacrifices, put home life, put social life to one side, perhaps put your own well-being to one side in order to focus on your career and, and to be there for patients and therefore haven't prioritised this in the way that we need to. And I've certainly seen that a lot in the doctors that I've worked with on a coaching and mentoring perspective, that they're maybe not kind to themselves in a physical way as much as they should do, you know, looking after their everyday you know, um exercise eating all those sort of daily needs but also kind to ourselves internally so when I've talked earlier about guilt and shame often that's a way of being unkind to ourselves isn't it and we wouldn't probably respond to a colleague who had a complaint by making them feel guilty or making them feel ashamed but yet we'll do that to ourselves
0: And I think that perfectionism is often one of the ways in which we completely beat ourselves up and we we berate ourselves. So that internal dialogue that I must be perfect, I must never make a mistake. Making a mistake means I'm a bad person, I'm a, I'm a bad doctor. I think when we finish medical school or or dental school um, or, or, or nursing training or any, any training, I think we sometimes... Expect that we are the full package. With a full package. And yes, we've got to go through the training to learn the extra skills we need to do to be a cert, good surgeon or that, this and that. But we don't ever expect that we're going to be making mistakes along the way. And that's where this whole growth mindset comes in. I know Carol Carol Zweck has talked a lot about, there's a fantastic um, TED talk by Carol Zweck about the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset says that if I make a mistake, that means I'm a bad person. That I can't improve. That my my skills and my knowledge are innate. They are part of me as a person. Therefore, if I fail, that reflects on me as a person. Whereas growth mindset is actually everybody is learning, and failure is actually quite good because it teaches me what I don't know, and then I can develop and grow. But actually, there'd be no healthcare pressure on this earth. I think that would say failure is great. That's
1: very pertinent, and my experience of of doctors who are facing. Complaints which go to the General Medical Council, the GMC, for example. The GMC, they welcome and actually encourage doctors to reflect upon something that's gone wrong. And the GMC is more concerned where a doctor doesn't reflect upon what's gone wrong, doesn't learn from it, and then improve their practice as a consequence. So that's exactly I agree with uh, what you're saying, Rachel. And actually, the GMC encourages that. And and where a doctor um, is, is entrenched in their view. For example, that that what they did was was right, and they would do it again. But that's more concerning because they're not learning from. Even if it wasn't a mistake and the complaints are justified, there's usually something in a complaint that is that does warrant reflection, growth, and change. And I think we can we can actually we can um, become better doctors, better dentists after complaints because we can reflect and improve our approach either in terms of communication with patients or in terms of our clinical practice or in terms of our own personal care which gets in the way of us performing as well as we can when we're providing care for patients.
2: I agree with everything and I like to think I've got as growth a mindset as a dentist can have. I can think of an adverse outcome that happened 12 years ago in my practice and I know it was 12 years ago because I was heavily pregnant at the time. And even though what happened was assessed by a specialist, even though I put the patient right, I will actually never forgive myself for hurting him, even though it was unavoidable. And the specialist has assured me he's actually someone I've become quite good friends with. And this comes up in conversation a lot, (laughs) because 12 years on, I actually still can't forgive myself for hurting that patient. And what's funny is I still think of him sometimes first thing in the morning, and last thing at night, and I bet you he's not thinking of me <laughs> not anymore. I'm sure he did at the time, but he would have forgotten I even exist. But to me, he stands out as a blazing point and I will never forgive myself for having hurt him. So I think there's that too. You know, we were talking about guilt and shame of those things too. But we are people too. And all the reasons that we've said, we, not one of us gets up in the morning with the intention to cause harm.
0: Yeah. It's that concept of the the second victim, isn't it? You Absolutely. Know, the, when a complaint or a failure, when a mistake happens, you get the first victim, but you've got then the the second victim of the people around, or, or the person that's that's made that's made the mistake. And you know, I'm 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 really sorry to hear Annaline that you're still it's still it's still troubling
2: you. It's a bit of a worry, isn't it? But <laughs> um, but I think it's funny because we were discussing how we all are involved in either teaching or counselling or helping people through these. And yet, perhaps one of the reasons that we're so well able to do it is because we know exactly how it feels. And we know exactly how they feel, how the members feel, Sheila, when they ring us up, because we felt all those emotions ourselves.
0: Yeah. So Annaline, I'm just thinking, looking back on, on that thing that happened, is there anything that you know now about this whole perfectionism growth mindset thing that you didn't know then that you wish you'd
2: known when you were going through that I really truly wish I'd been kinder to myself because as I say I was heavily pregnant at the time and I was so sickened that this patient had been hurt and it was as I say it was an adverse outcome so it was not something that could have been foreseen it's not and that doesn't make it any better I just want to be So it's not like I could go back and apply some learning if only I'd done the procedure this way rather than that way. There was no clinical skill learning to be had there. The only learning really was how I coped with it. And obviously, as I said, I put the patient right. I made sure the patient got to the specialist and and he's fine and he was fine very quickly. But I was horrible to myself. I made myself sick. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. And it dominated my life for a really long time up until I had a baby and that dominated my life from that point <laughs> it was a big distraction but and still now when I teach about adverse outcomes and things like that I often share my story with dental practitioners where it's meaningful to them what actually went wrong because it really was that just once in a lifetime moment in time but I think it's important because you can actually see people go through the feelings that I felt because I imagine how it would feel for them. And so I think there's learning there. So I'm more than happy to talk about it and share it with people. I just wish I'd been kinder to myself. I just couldn't get past that I must have done something wrong. And I couldn't get past the fact that he was hurt. I just couldn't move past those things. Like, because he's hurt, I must be wrong. I must be bad. I must be terrible. I must be, te- I'm a terrible person. And I just couldn't, so I guess, yeah, I, I just couldn't move past that.
0: top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. I think that's really insightful because the the, the problem with all of this, right, is that, you know, I remember, you know, getting a complaint and looking through the notes thinking, was it my fault? Was it my fault? Did I do anything? Did I do anything? You know, was it my fault? The problem is, why is it, not okay for it to be my fault, right? Because every human being makes mistakes. If you wash up enough plates, you're going to drop one. And we are very uncomfortable with being a normal human being. It's it's almost like we're, as healthcare professionals, trying to deny the laws of gravity. The machines will sometimes make an error or get things wrong or, or something will happen. And we expect ourselves not to do that and of course we work in such a high stakes environment it's I guess in a way it's good to have those expectations but then it's really unhealthy as well what what, what do you think about that Sarah?
3: Yeah I agree with all of that that I think we have those unrealistic expectations often of ourselves and so I guess I was wondering I mean what would you say to a dentist who rang up who'd, who'd had a similar adverse outcome occur to them where they hadn't made a mistake as such but this had still happened and they were saying to you you know I, I must have done something wrong. I just can't kind of get over that. What what advice would you give another dentist?
2: Well, I think it goes back, Sarah, to I will make mistakes and some of them will be serious. So let's start there. And I think I would reassure them that they're not alone. I think I felt so alone. I felt like I was the only person in the world who had ever done this. And I, I didn't even know what I'd done. It was so rare. I didn't even understand what had happened. And then I felt very stupid not understanding what had happened. So I would encourage the practitioner who called to do what I did and reach out to the specialist, get the patient fixed, because obviously that's the patient has to be the priority. And I'm not saying the practitioner is not a priority. I'm saying that we have, you know, we have to take care of our patients. It's just, you know, we have to stay on that journey, but also then to start looking once we've got the patient moving in the right direction to then start looking at how we feel. I would uh, encourage anybody who went through what I went through to have counseling. Obviously we do have access to a confidential counseling service. And I think it would have been very healthy for me to talk to somebody at the time about, why I was feeling the way I was, and to try and get some, yeah, try and get some uh, closure from that, and yeah, I, I just think I would just say to them, you're not alone, and just encourage them to forgive themselves. But I don't think you can on the first day. I think on the first day you've got to go through. Sheila, you were saying the stages of grief, isn't it? Denial, fear, anger. You've got to go through it, haven't you? To yeah, going on the bare hand.
1: I agree mean with you, It definitely is like the stages of grief, and I think it might be helpful if doctors and dentists who do. Who have been involved in an adverse incident or a complaint, to, to think about it in that way. Because it helps them realise that things are not going to get better straight away and not to put pressure on themselves to think, well, I've, I've sorted out the patient now, so everything's fine. They need to know that their feelings can take months to resolve. And as you as you suggested, and the counselling can be of assistance just as it is when, just as it can be if you have a bereavement. I mean, and interestingly, when you look at the symptoms of grief and bereavement, they include things like having physical symptoms such as headaches, insomnia, loss of appetite, perhaps drinking too much alcohol, also emotional symptoms uh, such as crying, feeling down, I mean, and then per- personal difficulties in their relationships, fatigue, anger, and aches and pains, and other physical ail- ailments and, and illnesses for which they may need to see their own doctor about. So when I speak to doctors, I I try to say, look, be kind to yourself. We all make mistakes and it may take some time for you to get through what you're feeling at the moment. But don't rush it. Don't feel feel like, well, next week everything should be okay because we don't work that way. We are human beings. We're not machines. We're not computers. Though I do wonder how many of those
2: symptoms were my pregnancy or passed off as my pregnancy. But I certainly had a lot of those emotions. I've mentioned a couple of times when we were talking about this, my relationship with the specialist. And I've mentioned that we've actually become quite good friends. And I also do think that having a mentor or somebody you can talk to, particularly for younger practitioners, but not just for younger practitioners, for any practitioner can be super helpful too because not only does it help you understand the why particularly if it is a clinical mistake and particularly if it's one that occurs commonly so you know this has happened to me and why and the steps we can take to avoid it but they can help you with your confidence then because oftentimes we see practitioners who become fearful to do it because obviously dental practitioners are fundamentally proceduralists. I mean, we, we do procedures to patients every day. We're diagnosticians and those things too, but essentially we're proceduralists. So we'll have a situation where perhaps a practitioner will have an issue extracting a tooth and then you'll find the next time they go to extract a tooth, they almost get the wobbles they, because they, they fear it's going to happen again. It becomes that deja vu moment where they start reliving it in their head and actually having a mentor in place to give them the confidence and to help them with the planning. And if that person can be on site, all the more better because you know you've got backup. I think that that's a really powerful thing as well. I think having a mentor. So like I could say, I've mentioned my specialist colleague. In many ways, that's what he's become to me as well as a friend.
3: Yeah, and I really agree. I with that, I think the having somebody there alongside that you can speak to, that you can um, be really open and honest with, is really important. Just as you would want that that support in a in a bereavement. I think a lot of the work that I was doing before joining Medical Protection around coaching and mentoring doctors who had had a complaint, who'd been referred perhaps to the area team or the GMC was really to give them confidence because the incident happened. If they were willing to reflect, it often made people really over-reflect or generalise that, oh, because I made the mistake in that area, I must be in danger of making a mistake in another um, situation. And I think that vigilance is sometimes good. However, um, the danger is that then people's confidence really, really um, sinks. And a lot of my work, I think, was, was spent often validating people and pointing out the things that they were doing that that showed what a, a good doctor or they, they, they were. This could be people who were very junior, who hadn't ever had a complaint before and were really stunned by the fact that this had happened so early on. But often you know, there were people who had been who were very experienced practitioners who had you know wonderful had had wonderful careers. and the complaint was the first time that had happened to them. and I think you know just the fact that that had come at this stage in their in their careers was really difficult often for them to get there their heads around, Some people do, do find it difficult to reflect. And Sheila, you mentioned, obviously, that denial. We've also talked about growth mindsets. And for some people, they may have more of a fixed mindset in, approach to, to themselves and how they see failure. And I think it can be quite challenging for people who struggle to reflect, who struggle to accept that this has happened, to then take the learning from that. We talked before about, in the previous conversation, we talked about imposter syndrome And I I wonder if this comes in here a little bit.
2: Imposter syndrome is rife, I think, across um, all clinical practices, but we particularly see it in dental practice because we're proceduralists. And not just that, the majority of our patients will come for planned care. So they don't tend to come for emergency treatments. They'll have pre-scheduled appointment for planned care and they'll have their practitioner of choice. And some of our patients will see for 20, 30 years, will see for a lifetime and see their children and their children's children. But what that means is that we never see each other's work. So you go through the whole of your dental career only seeing the work that other people, yours, and then the work that other people put on Instagram. Now bear in mind, they're only putting their best work on Instagram, right? So you're only seeing beautiful fillings, other people's beautiful fillings, and yours will be functional, but they don't look like that. And we try and explain to the young practitioners, they know that works good, That's why it's on Instagram. But you find that people tend to think, I'm bad, I'm bad. And we find that in the work, superheroes don't take sick leave when they were talking about why practitioners won't take time away because they're worried about being away from their team and letting their team down. A lot of dental practitioners report a fear of taking sick leave because they're worried if another practitioner sees their patients, they're going to realize just how terrible they are. They don't want other people to see their work. Because they're frightened, they're not as good as others. And it doesn't just start in practice. We actually see it starting all the way back in medical and dental school where imposter syndromes rife. And of course, there's been an amount of research about this, hasn't it, across all clinical. And going back to the point that Sarah made earlier about how we've never failed and we're used to being the highest achiever, we often seen problems in the dental schools in Australia. And I'm sure that this isn't an Australian thing only, whereby People are so used to being top and then all of a sudden they're not. And we try and say to them, look around you. There's nothing wrong with being average in excellence. And yet they can't. I'm I'm always top. I'm always top. That's how I define myself. That's what makes me me. There are numerous cases of medical and dental students who've taken their lives when things hadn't gone as they'd hoped. And I think when you hear that that's when we really decided we need to get into these dental schools and start teaching them some of these skills or just bringing to their attention, I will make mistakes and some of them will be serious. Hmm. But this thing about, you know,
0: I will make mistakes, some of them will be serious, getting people to get out of that perfectionist mindset and into the growth mindset, but also escape from their whole imposter syndrome I think you get perfectionism and imposter syndrome both at the same time which is this deadly <laughs> deadly sort of conglomeration of, of mindset things and I'm just wondering and Sarah we interested in your your thoughts on this as a coach you know it, it's much better for us to get into this growth mindset before we have a mistake so we can then cope with it better than then at the time and have to relearn our our ways of thinking What advice would you be giving someone as a coach to try and get themselves out of the perfectionist way of thinking, out of that way of beating themselves up and, you know, that awful self-talk we have to ourselves?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think prevention is better than cure. But as I've said, I don't think it's often something that is really talked about at medical school, dental school in terms of preparing yourself to make mistakes. I think as a coach alongside or a mentor alongside someone who has is going through a complaint or an advice outcome has occurred is firstly to identify their mindset. So many of us don't really tune into our thoughts in terms of what am I telling myself at the moment? So I would spend some time asking someone to really write out um, their thoughts. So I would talk about when you're feeling like this, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling really upset, all the feelings that you can identify, what's behind that? What's the thought that you're telling yourself that's perpetuating that feeling? So using an approach, I suppose, from CBT, from cognitive behavioural therapy, your thoughts affect your feelings, which then affect your behaviour. So if we want to change how we feel and what we do, our behaviour, we need to go back to what am I telling myself? Because that's what's at the basis of the mindset, so either I'm telling myself I'm a terrible doctor, I'm I'm an, I'm the worst dentist. We're telling ourselves things like that, which people might not consciously be aware that that's what they're saying. So a lot of coaching would be to pull that out, make them aware of it, bring it out into the light, which often loses its power, and then often challenge those those thoughts. Where did that come from? Who says that that's true? Could there be another perspective? So a lot of it would be reframing let's look. And often people find that really hard to see a different picture of themselves if that's the decision that they've made. And so it would be a lot of stepping back and just looking. And I think that's where the confidence building comes in often as well. It's interesting that people often have a fixed mindset around one aspect of their identity or their personality, but might have a growth mindset around something else. So often I would try and find another area of their lives where they are perhaps kinder to themselves and then say, okay, so in your parenting you're perhaps very forgiving of mistakes that you make or in um, another situation in your life but what stops you I would often use the question what's the difference that makes the difference in this area so why is it different and okay to you know to learn from your mistakes when you're parenting but it's not okay to learn from your mistakes when you're a health professional
0: hmm. That's that's a really that's really good advice, isn't it? You know, apply it to to something else. You know, is there something else that you're learning that you're quite happy to to fail at or make mistakes at? You know, I've talked in podcasts before. Yeah, I'm learning to ice skate. Right, <laughs> I make mistakes all the time because that's what happens when you're learning. Like you ca- literally cannot learn to ice skate without falling over and, and making mistakes. Why can't I that then apply that to everything else that I'm doing in life and in my work and stuff?
3: Thinking back to coaching and mentoring doctors, one of the other things I would often look at was gently challenging people that that mindset that they've got sort of applying to themselves you know what is the impact of that and how's that working out for you and I suppose just thinking you know is there another way of I suppose trying to pull the benefits or the good things and you can't look at this in the moment because it's too painful to look at what's the learning I think right in the in the heat of the moment but later on you know like Annalene said she she uses her example to, to help share that learning with other other dentists and I think you know how can you recognize that there's learning in that not just for you but also that dissemination of learning for others we often think about in theaters where the connection for oxygen and nitrous oxide the connectors were the same and sometimes they they inadvertently when cleaners and were were cleaning the theater would plug them back the wrong way around and that could have disastrous consequences but how because that was recognized and people were open about the mistake that had happened how that probably saved lives on a much wider scale because the connections were then changed to make it much clearer and that mistake didn't happen it wouldn't happen again and i think one of the things that can help doctors and dentists is recognizing how other people can benefit from their experience and how that's so powerful and i and i think that can often be a helpful thing not i say in the early stages but later on how that can be useful
2: It doesn't even have to be the big things though, does it? I mean, I had a young recent graduate come to speak to me at the end of a conference to ask me how I, she was just found out she was pregnant. And she asked me how, how am I going to be a clinician with a baby? How am I going to make this work? And I said to her, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days. And I also said to her, one of the most important things to remember, whatever you're dealing with is there are people all over the world dealing with exactly what you're dealing with right now. And I saw her years later and she said, I have to thank you. And she gave me this whole story about how her baby, they've been driving. She'd been on the way to work. Just to take the little one to daycare. The baby had been violently sick, projectile vomited everywhere. Everyone was covered. And she said she was stood at the side of the road, like mopping them both off with baby wipes, crying, going, there are people all over the world going through this right now. And she said, "It, it not only did she find it really helpful, but it actually made her laugh. And I think that... It's not just the big things, I guess. If we can compound that advice to our colleagues, sometimes you'd be surprised where people can find that help if we do share our experiences, good and bad, but particularly bad. Yes, I've I've
3: certainly heard the saying, normalise the abnormal. And I think that could be that can be really helpful, can't it, in those sorts of situations where you're not alone. Other people have gone through this. And I think that is a really important
0: message to take away. Yeah, totally. So we're nearly out of time. In a second, I'm going to ask you for your three top tips that you would have for people so that they can prepare to fail well. And I think about it sort of myself, I, I would sort of just go back to this mindset thing. And what's the self talk that you've got in your head? And what are the underlying beliefs about yourself? Because if you're sort of, if something goes wrong, that hits on the fact that actually, I'm not a very good doctor then that's going to, you know, you're going to have that dreadful self-talk. Actually, if you can change those stories you tell yourself by, into, I'm a good doctor, I'm doing my best, mistakes will happen, but that doesn't mean I don't care. Things like that, that is going to sort of stand you in, in pretty good stead. So who's got three to kick off with? So I think I've just said, normalize the abnormal in a way.
3: You know, for small things and big things, mistakes will happen or complaints will be made. And difficult situations will occur so accepting that that is going to happen yeah. and then when it does facing up to it in an early and, an, and a timely way in order to have the ability to be open I think looking at something bad that happens either we bury it and try to pretend it hasn't happened and sort of you know really push it down or we still pl- plant it in in the soil in terms of we don't want to um always be carrying it around with us but we are willing to to wait for growth to come out of that and as we've said along this podcast that it takes time for that to happen but looking at it and when something grows other people can also benefit from that so i think just recognizing either burying or planting a failure or a mistake can have very different outcomes
1: thank you so plant your failures (laughs) sheila what about you i think well the first thing i would say is we are not none of us are perfect even though Um, at medical school dental school we we believe that we have to be perfect to be successful caring doctors or dentists that's the first thing we are not perfect second thing is we all make mistakes no matter how careful we are no matter how much time and training we put in no matter how much we put patients first we will all make mistakes no matter how we try not to that's the second thing the third thing is and this is the most important thing I hope that uh, listeners will take away from this that really a mistake is a way to learn and grow and move forward, not just for ourselves, but as I think Sarah, Rachel, and Annalena have been saying, it's a way of helping others as well. Because unless you've been in the shoes of someone who's made a mistake, it's too difficult to give them guidance about how to get through it. So it's a it's it's not just a growth exercise for us. But it can help other people as well in the future. So, that there are my three tips. Please come if you do have a, a, a complaint. Don't feel ashamed or embarrassed. Speak to somebody early on, whether it's a mentor, a close colleague at work, or, or medical defence organisations. It's best. It's better to share it early on, and that's less of a burden in the future.
2: Annalene. I suppose I'd just say that not every piece of work you do will be an Instagrammable moment. It's okay to do functional dentistry, speaking to my dental colleagues. It doesn't have to be Instagram worthy to be good. I don't know if I've got three, but one thing I would say is that I've actually grown and learned from this conversation, from something that Sarah said when we were talking about my adverse outcome, when she commented, what would you say to somebody if they rang up and had the conversation with you? And just reflecting on that, maybe that's how I would say that we can prepare for failure, not only by being kind to our colleagues and encouraging people to talk about their failure so you don't feel so isolated. You know it can happen to anyone. It was just your turn. It was just your day. But also if you're feeling really low, maybe that's how we need to flip it. Maybe maybe if I had thought, Annalene, what would you say if Sarah was sharing this experience with you? Maybe my own self-talk could have been a little bit kinder. So that's something for me to reflect on. Thank you, Sarah.
0: Mm. Be kind to colleagues, be kind to yourself. And I just think that every every medical student, every trainee should have that, that phrase, I am going to make mistakes and some of them will be serious. And that is okay. It doesn't mean that I am a bad doctor, dentist, person, human being. Should have that sort of tattooed on our <laughs> on our computer screens or, or, or something like that. It's it's for me, it's looking out for the, the self-talk. What are we telling ourselves? And when you catch yourself berating yourself, telling yourself it's shameful, feeling dreadful about it, think is, is this what I would say to my best mate? Is this how I would treat a loved one? And treat yourself the way that you would treat your best mate or a loved one. So thank you so much, everyone. We could talk about this for for hours, I think, but I think that's been a really helpful conversation. I'd encourage people to just check out um, the resources around perfectionism, growth mindset. We'll we'll put some of the resources in the show notes. So if people wanted to get in touch with you guys, I guess it would be through the dental protection or medical protection websites. There's going to be more episodes in the surviving complaints series. So I hope this has been helpful to you. We would love listeners to share their their comments or questions with us. So I'll also put my email address in the show notes as well, because we'd just love to hear your experiences, what what your thoughts are. And if you are going through something at the moment that is difficult, please don't keep it to yourself. Please get the help that you need. And then we'll put some more resources in the show notes about that as well. So thank you so much, everybody. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you.
3: Thanks very much, Rachel.